Pastor Brandon is going to finish that up next week, so make sure you come back for that. But today we're going to look at two characteristics that should be in every fully devoted followers of Christ's prayer life. Um, but while we're looking at these two characteristics, we're also going to wrestle with the question of why, why does God delay or why does it seem like God is not answering my prayers right now? And so to understand these two characteristics, we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. And he told this parable to his disciples and not just the general crowd. <clears throat> if you don't know what a parable is, it's a popular teaching style um, that we have in the Bible where somebody uses uh, a little story with everyday characteristics to teach a deeper truth. Now, Jesus is definitely the most famous for using parables, and he used these parables so that not everybody would understand what he was teaching, but only those who were, were serious. But this form of, can you turn me down a little bit? <clears throat> this form of teaching is not only um, Jesus's, but we see it throughout the Bible, mostly in the prophets, the most famous being the prophet Nathan when he confronts King David with his sin in Bathsheba. And he goes and he tells him a parable. And through that, King David realizes that he is the man in the story and that he needs to repent of his sin. Another way to look at parables is kind of the first sermon illustration, though they're more of a sermon than just an illustration. Now, like I've already said, there, there's characters or items in these stories, and we have to interpret those to understand what the teaching is. And sometimes this can be pretty hard, uh, such as the parable uh, with the rich man and Lazarus, where Lazarus is in hell, or Lazarus is in heaven, the rich man is in hell, and they're crying out. And, and so we got to do some thinking with that. Now, luckily for us, uh, today's parable, Jesus kind of gives a purpose statement along with this parable, so it helps us uh, to understand a little bit easier. So be looking for those two characteristics in that purpose statement as we read God's Word. So if you'll open up to Luke 18 um, and stand up with me here as we read God's Word with reverence, it'll be verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, did you catch it there? And he, he made it pretty simple, right? Youth group, did you observe? We're going through Bible study right now in youth group. Did you observe 
that sentence there, right, where he says, right in the first verse, I've written this, or I'm telling you this, so that you always pray and not lose heart. So my sermon in a sentence today is, fully devoted followers of Christ pray always and do not lose heart. So the first lesson that we see in this parable is to pray always. Now the Greek word here used in this verse is most often translated always. But it's translated other other verses, and it carries with it this idea of at all times, or on every occasion, which I really like, or every season. Now, if you have a footnote, or if you have footnotes in your Bible, you'll probably notice that Ephesians 6, 18, and Romans 12, 12 are cited next to this word always because they use the same Greek root word. And lucky for us, and kind of ironically, they're also talking about prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and and supplication. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And so the concept that the Bible teaches us on prayer and that Jesus is trying to emphasize to his disciples here is to pray always, right? And and this could look as I'm praying nonstop all day 24-7, right? That's how a lot of people view this. And, And it's fine if you want to do it that way. But that's not necessarily the example we see in today's text. We see that this widow is constant, right? But it's not 24-7. It's more of this praying every day, praying on all occasions, right? So as occasions come up throughout our day, we are taking those things to prayer. As things come out, as we're talking with people and we hear things, whether they ask for prayer requests or we just notice in them like, they're kind of down. I'm I think I need to pray for them, right? And so this is what it looks like to be constant in prayer, to pray always. It's putting the right priority on prayer. Uh, And this idea is also kind of reaffirmed at the end of our scripture here in verse 7 with this Gentile idiom, right? Idioms are just common sayings, more or less, right? And he says, God will answer those who pray day and night, right? The, the Jewish way of saying this is night and day, which I found interesting. But it conveys this idea of constantly, all the time. And so we see this practically in the widow, right, who is the character in the story that we are to identify with. Every day she makes her request known to the judge. And notice she doesn't go about this casually, She's not like, well, all right, I got five minutes today. I guess I'll go down and talk to the judge. Or she's not, well, maybe I don't want to bother the judge, but, right? No, every day she's going down, she is seeking out this judge, and she is making her requests known to him. She's like a flea on a dog, just constantly chewing away at this judge. She's on a mission. Every day, rain, shine, sleet, or snow, she's in the ear of this judge. 
not all day, but it's every day. And this is what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to do. To be persistent like the widow. Like I said earlier, prayer is to be our first priority, not our last resort. To be constant in prayer means exactly that. That when things come up in our life, we are going to God in prayer. Not, not wait until we've tried all the other gimmicks. Not, not until we've tried to fix it on our own. Well, can't do this. I guess I better pray. No, it's to be our first priority. Constant prayer looks more like asking God first and trusting that he will work through you or others to answer us. What I mean is, when you are sick, when you're not feeling well, go first to prayer in God, and then go to the doctor. Just because you're going to the doctor does not mean that your faith is not in God. But you, your faith is in God, that God has given the gifts to this doctor to heal you. Perhaps you need a job. Go first to God in prayer. Pray constantly about the situation, but fill out some applications, fully trusting that God is going to answer those prayers, that God is going to be working and giving you the job that you need. might not be the job you want. You might not get it as soon as you want. God will give you the job that you want. And so this applies for anything, anything that we could want, anything that we could need, anything that others need, take it to prayer. Take it to prayer and pray. Fill in the blank, right? Whatever you need, take it to God in prayer. Now there's two ways which the Bible describes this pray constantly. Two ways that we can kind of live it out, right? The first one is a command. And we see this in Ephesians and the Romans passage that I read already read, right? He is commanding them to pray constantly. Now, the other way that we can carry this out or we can view praying constantly is as an act of faith. And that's what Jesus is describing here in Luke 18, is an act of faith. If we go all the way to the last verse we read, verse 8 says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so the point that Jesus is trying to make is that people who have faith are praying constantly. How so? Because they're fully trusting, they're fully relying, they're fully confident that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. He will keep his promises. But he also says he will answer prayer. And I think that this is an example of the works that accompany our faith that James talks about in chapter 2 of his book, right? Faith without works is dead. Faith without prayer is dead. This, this is where we put action to our faith. This is the proof of the pudding that, that we truly do believe that God is a loving God and that he has the power to answer our prayers because we are acting by constantly asking him. Now, the second thing to learn 
and it goes really hand in hand with the first part of praying constantly, is to not to lose heart when we pray. The phrase to lose heart is also translated as growing tired or growing weary or to give up. And Christ tells us to not grow weary, to not give up, which is exactly what we see the widow in the story do. She never stops making her requests known to the guy who has the power to do something about, what, about the situation in her life. She persisted to ask until she got what she needed. And so we are to pray just as the widow did and plead our case to God with faith, with not growing weary, with not getting tired of asking God to answer. Or not going, well, I've reached my quota. God's already answered five prayers this month. I can't do it anymore, right? But that's what it looks like to grow weary. Now, the judge in this story is described as neither fearing God nor respecting man, which was another common phrase back in the day. And it was found outside of the Bible as well. And it was used to describe people exactly like our judge. People who were kind of above the law, who really just didn't care what other people thought about them. Didn't have any compassion. Weren't, they just cared about themselves. Now some commentators um, have said that it was common in those days for a poor widow to, or anybody really needing justice, to bring a bribe to the judge. And we don't know if this is true, it doesn't say that, but this would just further prove the point. If this judge needs a bribe before he's going to act, before he's going to do his job, right, of protecting the powerless and the widow, that just proves a point. The guy was a jerk. He had no compassion, did not fear God or respect man. Now, the judge finally does give in, and not because he is moved by compassion or comes to the realization that this widow deserves justice, but rather he takes up her cause because he's wore out. He's lost heart. He's annoyed. He wants her to stop coming to him every day. Her constant pleading has worn him down. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? When that kid wants that piece of candy or that toy or to go to grandma's, right? They just will not. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Right? And, and finally, what ends up happening is one or two things. Either you just, something snaps in your brain and just all reason goes like, fine, here, have it. Or you unleash such fury and anger at them that they are just, they're scared to ask. At least until tomorrow. But see, the judges, who the judge is and how he goes about asking or, or responding to this request stands in stark contrast to our Heavenly Father who is full of compassion and justice, who cares for the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor. In fact, God cares for all of his creation. And we see this time and time again. He delights in his children and he delights in their prayers. 
God is not annoyed by our constantly going to Him in prayer, our constantly asking Him in faith. Psalms uh, 147.11 tells us that the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Again, Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Y'all, he, he loves to hear us pray. He loves to provide for us. This is what Brandon was talking about a couple weeks ago when we talked about God as being our heavenly Father, right? And dads, you know what I'm talking about. And, and moms too, right? You, you take joy, you delight in being able to provide for your kids' needs. It's not a burden for you, Right? Well, sometimes it is. But no, but we still do take delight knowing that they're our children. We love them. We want to take care of them. And so God, who is the perfect Father in heaven, he takes pleasure, he takes delight in being able to answer our prayers. And, and we see this in the idea uh, spelled out to us uh, in verse 7 in the form of a rhetorical question. Uh, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? And the implied answer here is, yes, of course. Or if you grew up in the 90s, duh, right? Of course he wants to answer the prayers. Of course we, and we see him doing this all over the place. And he answers these prayers because of who he is because we are his children. And not and the verse goes on to say, not only will he answer these prayers, but he will answer them quickly. But the problem for us is our definition of quickly is not the same definition as God's quickly. The term quickly does not necessarily mean immediately, but more of in due time or according to God's God's economy. If you uh, turn it to 2 Peter 3.8, which is quoting Psalms, 9, Psalms 90, verse 4, we hear that a thousand years is but a day for the Lord. So even though it took you a thousand years, God answered it quickly. It was just a day for him. And why? Why? Why does God answer in his timing? Right? And we're going to look at this today because we spent a lot of time already looking at is this in God's will and God answering things that are in his will, but we really haven't looked at God's timing much. But what we have to remember is God is an all-knowing creature. Right? He, he knows exactly when to act, when to move. Just as a, a master percussionist knows exactly when to sound the gong, Right? Or a professional athlete knows precisely when to jump to block the shot. God knows exactly when he needs to answer our prayers. God knows the perfect time. And often he has a bigger purpose for delaying. He might know that we're not ready to have that kid yet. He might know that it's not time for us to go get a job at that company because somebody else needs to quit, otherwise it would be miserable for him. 
So we have to, so we can keep heart, we can keep faith in knowing that God knows better than us. We're going to look at a couple examples here in the Bible that help us to understand some of the reasoning behind God's delay. Now, these obviously don't apply to every situation, and chances are we're probably not going to know why God chose to delay in answering our prayers. But this at least shows us that God knows what he's doing and that there are reasons to his geniusness of, of waiting. So the case of Lazarus, right? Jesus' dear friend. We see that Jesus delays in healing him for the glory of God. I mean, if Christ would have just showed up when he was sick and healed him, people are like, yeah, well, we've, we've seen that before, Jesus. So his full power, the power to raise people from the dead, would not have been seen. So by allowing him to die before he went, because he delayed, through everybody's faith, right? His disciples saw that this guy did not only has the power to heal the sick, to help the blind see, this man has the very power to raise people from the dead. And in doing this, he was also preparing them for his own death and resurrection. He was preparing them so that their faith, which we can look back at now and see, is astonishing. That these guys were willing to die for this man. And so we see that his delay was for God's glory. Another example of God delaying his action in human eyes is bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, God has the power. He could have snapped, and they could have left Egypt. And I'm sure there was many Israelites sitting there going, come on, God, uh, any time here, this, this, this is not fun. Now we have the vantage point of looking back on the story, and so we see why God was doing this stuff. It says right in the Bible that God was doing this to prove his power both to Pharaoh and the Israelites. He was preparing the Israelites he was showing them that he was the one and true and only God. And so he had to delay in their deliverance, which he promised to them, for the purpose of growing their faith, of showing who he was. Now, mind you, they forgot this immediately when they went into the wilderness and went into the promised land. But that is our human nature. And so we once again see that God's delay is for their good. And just as God delayed for, those, for the benefit of those in the Bible, sometimes God delays in answering our prayers because he has a bigger purpose in our lives. Perhaps he needs to remove some doubt in your life. Perhaps it's just not the right time. Maybe you cannot handle the situation. God knows. He will do what he said he will do when, he, when it's the right time to do it. Because if God were just to fix our problems when they were small, we probably wouldn't give him any credit. Or, or we might not even realize that it was God who did it. Sometimes you've got to go to all the doctors and get told, no, sorry, there's nothing we can do to you. 
And then God steps in and heals you. And it changes our lives forever, and we see that. And he gets all the credit for it. And in the same manner, God delays not just to show his power or to grow our faith, but sometimes to show his power and grow the faith of others around us. He knows that we're good. He knows that we are mature believers and that we are confident in him. Example of Job. But yet he delays so that other people around us can see our faith in God. They can see God's power when you've been to all the doctors and they can't do nothing. And then God steps in. And the doctors are speechless because they have no idea what happened here. What sucks for us is sometimes we have to go through some hard times. But God knows what he's doing. And it is for our benefit and for the benefit of other people around us that he does this. Now, the second reason we are given for God delaying is so that more people would come to salvation. 2 Peter 3.9 states, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so sometimes God doesn't act because he is waiting for more people to put their faith in him. Now, th this is more of end times waiting. And, and this is some of the context that this passage is in because Jesus, before this, is talking about the last days. And in verse 8 implies that, right? When, when Jesus returns, will he find such faith? I don't know about you. I would love for Jesus to come back, like, right now. I'm down with that, right? I'm... I'm this world's not our home. It's not fun living here. It's not fun getting sick. It's not fun having to take your kids to the emergency room, right? I, I'd rather not be here. But God has us here because he lo his love is so great that he wants, other he wants more people to be in heaven. And so he delays. And so we can see that God delays our answering of prayer for much bigger reasons. Like I said earlier, we may never know. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't just continue to have faith, continue to not lose heart in God. So what does this mean for us today? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to ask you another question, and you can talk about it in bridge groups this week. And the question is, what does your prayer life say about your faith in God? Are you constantly trusting God with everything in your life and therefore taking your prayers to him? Or are you growing weary and tired? To answer this, you, you kind of got to look at your actions. Is your first instinct to take things to prayer in God? Or do you try and Fix it with your own power, your own money, your own wisdom, your own politics, or your own Dr. Phil or Oprah 12-step program. Do you act expectantly? Or do you doubt that God will answer some of your prayers? 
And then when he doesn't answer immediately, do you stop praying? As I mentioned earlier, being constant in prayer is both an act of obedience and an act of faith. If you're not praying all times, I doubt it's an act of obedience, or I doubt it's an obedience problem, but most likely a faith problem. If you're not fully trusting God with everything in your life, then I ask you to do some introspection. What, what is their hang-up that's keeping you from fully trusting God, that's keeping you from taking everything in prayer to him? What lie has the devil told you and that you have bought into? A wise man once told me that Satan's number one goal is to get us to doubt God's character. And so therefore he's always trying to plant seeds of doubt. Did God really say that, Eve? Why has it taken him so long to answer that prayer? Are you sure he really loves you enough to give you that? Oh, you must have done something wrong. That's why God's not answering your prayer. These are all lies straight from the pit of hell. But they do cause us to doubt sometimes. And the two areas that they really cause us to doubt is God's power and his goodness. We either think that he can't act, which is his power, or that he won't act, which is doubting his goodness. So let me give you an example, right? Not many of you would go down to the guy holding up the sign on the side of the road at Kellogg and Ra and ask him for a million dollars, right? You lack confidence. You would not have faith that he would have the power to be able to provide you a million dollars. Now, if you saw the Koch brothers walking down the street, that's another story, right? You would have the confidence that they have the power to give you the, the money. But chances are you probably doubt their goodness to just give it away to a total stranger. Now, luckily for us, God has both the power and the goodness to answer any prayer we could ask of him. Anything we throw at him, he's got it. When it comes to power, we don't have to look any further than creation itself. The splendor, the majesty of this universe, of the stars, the complexity of all creation, photosynthesis, it's crazy. The fact that plants recycle our air, right? Our human bodies, right? All of this is proof of God's power. Not enough, huh? All right. Well, let's go back to, to Exodus, right? Where we see God perform all kinds of crazy miracles to prove to his people that he has the power. His power is evident in the New Testament when he pours out his Holy Spirit and then it comes with all these signs to prove the ministry of the apostles. But perhaps the greatest proof of his power is raising up our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead and forgiving all sin for those who trust in him. Now this last point is not only proof of his power, but also proof of his goodness. The fact that he would send his one and only son to earth 
to die for the sins of the ungodly, to die the death that we all deserve because of the sin that we have done. What greater proof of love than for someone to lay down their life And I could go on and on and on about God's goodness from him providing clothing to Adam and Eve in the garden, delivering his people from Egypt, preparing a place for his children in eternity. But that's not the purpose of this sermon. The point of this sermon is that we are his children and we are to constantly and confidently be praying to our Heavenly Father about everything. But I do want to touch on one more point here. I don't want you to hear me as saying that you are a bad Christian or there's something wrong with you if you have doubts, if you struggle to trust God. Because all believers have these from time to time. And you know what the good news is? God has enough power and God has enough goodness to handle your doubts. You can take all your doubts, all your frustrations, directly to God. Just just flip open Psalms, right? You see King David over and over having it out with God, saying, God, I'm angry with you. God, I don't know what you're doing. God, help me, I'm losing faith. We do this with our spouses, right? We do this with our best friends. They can handle it. You're still married. Still your friend. It's far better than them. And so God can handle it. You can take your doubts to him. And these doubts generally arise from either us not understanding completely who God is or when we don't see him answering our prayers or acting as how we think he should act. But he is answering our prayers. He's answering in the way that he sees best. He's answering them when he knows is the best time. And so we should not grow weary. We should not stop praying because we know the character of God. We know he will fulfill his promises. We know that he will answer his children's prayer. So we should pray always because he is the only one that can do what we request. And we should not lose heart because we know that God is good and will answer our prayers speedily. As I close today, I do want to leave you with the words of the theologian Dory. Can we play that clip? So what are we to do? Just keep praying, just keep praying, praying, praying. What do we do? We pray, pray, pray. You guys are dismissed. Go enjoy fellowship with one another.